Welcome to Why Is This Good, a podcast by the Naples Writers Workshop. I'm Christine and I'm here with John. Hey, John. Hello. All right, John, it's your turn. Why don't you tell us what you picked? I picked a story called This Is Pleasure by Mary Gateskill. And do you have a section that you want to read for us? This is an interesting story because it it goes back and forth between uh, two speakers. And I kind of want to read a section where we can go back and forth between the two speakers, but they're all so long. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. But I did find this one, the two shortest sections that are back to back. Okay. Q, do I respect women? If I'm being truthful, I'm not sure I can answer generally and in all cases, but I can say this. I respect my wife and I did not betray her. I flirted. That's all it was. I did it to feel alive without being unfaithful. I never, it would have been more dignified if you had, Carolina replied. It would have been more normal. It would be more dignified if I'd been unfaithful. Do you mean that? She sat very straight, looking out our big west-facing windows. Countless rectilinear shapes, silver and gray, rose in an abnormal sky of purplish clouds and freakishly pink light. An especially vertiginous beauty of glass and steel caught the sunset and turned orange. You're not even a predator, she said quietly. Not even. You're a fool. A pinching, creeping fool. That is what's unbearable. M. I didn't know most of the women who had spoken out against Quinn, but I knew one, a novelist named Regina March, one of his minor discoveries from some years back. I'd seen her at Quinn's parties and liked her. She was a warm, opinionated 40-year-old who, I remember, always hugged Quinn goodbye. I was astonished to see that she was one of hundreds of women who'd signed the petition naming multiple abusers and demanding that no one ever hire them again. They specifically threatened to boycott any publishing house or media company that did hire one of them. Essentially, this intelligent, delightful woman was threatening the livelihood of the man who'd first published her. My astonishment must have shown when I saw her at a party. Her face fell at the sight of me. Provoked by her guilty look, I slowly pursued her around the room, joined her in a three-way conversation, and politely awaited my moment. I didn't have to wait long. As soon as the other woman walked away, she looked at me with emotional eyes and asked, How is Quinn? How is Carolina? As well as you would expect, I said. I think of them every day, she said. I've wanted to reach out, but I... Reach out? You wanted to reach out? My God, Regina, why did you sign that thing? She started to cry. She said that she hadn't seen his name on the petition until after she'd signed it. There were so many names. And because it was online, she couldn't unsign it. Maybe his name was added after she signed it? Because if she'd seen it, she wouldn't have done it. Could I tell him? Could I tell Carolina? Could I? M-dash. M-dash, yes. (laughs) Uh, So how did you come across this and why did you pick it? It was in the Best American Short Stories for 2020. I picked it because uh, I thought it did such a good job of going back and forth between two characters, two voices. Yeah, you're right. It goes back and forth between the two speakers, which might be confusing when people listen to you read it. But it was Q for Quinn and M for Margot. Margot, yeah. At the very beginning, they talk about like his British accent, which I won't ruin your experience of this by sending you this now. But later, I'm going to send you a picture of the guy that I cannot stop picturing for some reason as this character. And it's from like a TV show. (laughs) And it like really informs formed my reading of this because I think there's like a physical description of him early on alongside that mention of his accent, which didn't set him up as harmless, but kind of set him up in a way that made him definitely quirky and uh, not a predator, as his wife points out. Was it a picture of Boris Johnson? Yeah, right. (laughs) It's the hair. The description of the hair was odd. I think it was the description of the hair. Yeah, I definitely like had a picture in my head of him as 
someone who's like quirky in appearance and like unique in appearance and non-threatening in his like stature and everything. Not even like conventionally attractive. Unlike a lot of other fiction that we've read, even on this podcast, his physical appearance for me was something that I either filled in or they did a good enough job like connecting to his personality where it felt interconnected. I was able to picture him physically moving throughout this story, which is unique. That is true. I think I had a similar experience. His physicality was very, um, came across as part of the story. Maybe the cathedral story did something similar with the blind man where you're really picturing like what he looks like as he interacts with his world. But the other characters in that book, you don't picture. I don't know. When I picture characters, either someone from a movie or TV show or something immediately pops into my head because it's the last thing I watched. (laughs) You know, it's just like fills in the blank and I can like maybe see them clearly because of that. But otherwise it's like really these like faceless people that I picture. And this was not the case. This I had like this character from the very beginning and it was cool to think about him in each of those situations by extension because I was picturing him so frequently I tried to picture some of the other women which this is like at its core the material is about like physically attractive women too so there's a lot of physical description but there's like a lot of physical encounters which is the point of it so you are just picturing these people interacting I guess it's like almost similar to like anytime a character has to like physically do stuff you're gonna have to describe how he's doing it yeah that's right what did you like about this and like what did you want to point out I know you said that um you like that it goes back and forth the main thing i think the biggest thing that i noticed about the story was that the two voices were so distinct I didn't do a, like a deep dive in syntax or style or like how it was written or anything to try to figure out how it was made differently or the two voices were made so different. But the first time I read it, you know, just reading it as a story, because I had no idea I was going to choose it for the podcast at the time. I just had that impression that they were remarkably different. And when I reread it to do for the podcast, I just fell into the story again. And I, I wasn't thinking about <laughs> the prose or anything, but I had that same impression. And I, I could only think maybe it was just subject matter was slightly different There's maybe slight different uh, speech patterns being expressed that I, you know, couldn't quite put my finger on. But that was the main thing is just how well she made these two voices distinct of the, for the two characters. And part of it's just characterization. Like you, yeah. you get that they're different people. A lot of times, you know, you read um, amateur or uh, stuff for the workshop or something, and the characters are interchangeable in some ways if you have two of them, right? Yeah. When they're speaking. But this was not. This was definitely... They had a point of view. They had a way of seeing things. They had a way of expressing themselves and thinking about things. And Obviously, part of what we're talking about here is the fact that the sections are both written in first person. So mm-hmm. like they come across as like distinctly different because it is in their voice. It's not just like a close third or something, which is sometimes harder to do. To make it distinct, yeah. Yeah, without it seeming to be the bias of the narrator somehow. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so they both talk in first person and they're both recounting their views of what has unfolded, which I guess we should just say, like he's been accused by all these women in the publishing industry of being inappropriate with them. And unlike a lot of other examples that everyone can immediately think of, there was like one physical encounter, but it's not even, it doesn't even really include that because the woman he had that encounter with didn't sign the petition or anything. So it's really about all of these weird, like direct conversations that he's had with women. And 
just makes them uncomfortable. Yeah. Which is like, I don't know, an interesting tact in general. I don't know what this author's intent was writing about a subject like this at this time, you know? So I don't want to like read too much into it in terms of uh, where this author falls personally or where she wants the reader to fall on the politics of a situation like this, because I don't think that was the goal because this was a very specific thing. This guy was definitely a character and it was like extremely intentionally not physical. There are like two physical instances that they talked about where it was like overt other than like, you know, him putting a hand on a shoulder or a waist or whatever. But the rest of it was just these like blunt conversations like, oh, how do you how do you like to have sex? And do you and your husband still have sex? And from his point of view, from Quinn's point of view, all of these people are at some point in the conversation like willing participants. And maybe he's had to like convince them to come around, but he explains that as part of his charm. And then Margot kind of says, you know, I've had an uncomfortable encounter with him too. And after I put my foot down, I had to come around to him as a person because I wanted to keep working with him. And I have, and now I consider him my best friend and I see him like holy. like she feels like she understands him, even if he's like confusing to her at, at times, she yeah. understands his like, you know how there's like people that you don't understand just because you don't know them very well. Well, she knows him really well. And one of the facets of his personality is that he's hard to understand. And that's one of their first interactions. She's like, I feel like I don't know you very well. He's like, why don't you ask me? What he really says is, what's the only way to get to know someone? And she's like, I don't know. And he's like, flirt with me. And then they like revisit that topic later on because he and Margot end up agreeing. And that's why he likes Margot. I think is what he says at one point that like sex is the core of everyone's personality. So you you can't really know someone until you know those details about him, about them. And like Margot doesn't go around asking people, how do you like it? But yeah. she admits that like, that's probably what's at the core of everyone's personality. If you can suss it out and Quinn's over here like I know what I'll do I'll just ask <laughs> what position <laughs> they fuck their husband and then I'll know them it's like he's trying to take this shortcut by being intimate somehow but it's really disconcerting and really rude <laughs> and really like intrusive if you don't know the person very well and he tries to get to know people in the course of a conversation so He's a weirdo and he'll talk about women of all ages and like physical appearances are attractive to him. Like there's a scene where he's hitting on an older woman in front of his wife who is like 20 years his junior and Margot's just kind of like, this is Quinn, man. Like sexuality is this essence of a person that has nothing to do with anything else about them. So he's just like drawn to individual people because he wants to know them that way. And then the part that you read is really good to point out because his wife articulates, you know, what's weird about it is you never followed through. You didn't even like have sex with these women. You didn't do anything appropriate or like grab them or anything. You're just like a weirdo. And that's why it's embarrassing. <laughs> you right. know, like you don't have any like of these social boundaries that the rest of us just like inherently know. So I don't know if we're supposed to like think of Quinn either as guilty or innocent or undeserving of this fallout. I think that's almost secondary. I don't care about the fallout. But what this does and I've been rambling, it's just give you like a full portrait of this guy. Like when you tell me about this story or mention it later on, like I will remember him as a full blown character. I feel like if I walked past him on the street, I would recognize him. He is like jumping off the page in a way that a lot of other characters don't. Most other characters don't. Yeah, this is like, this is what fiction does. This is kind of like a, a study of fiction in that, you know, a story like this is, the point of the story is Margot would tell somebody, or it's, she even says it specifically at the end of the story that 
It's like, well, you just don't understand who the kind of person he is. Like, this is who he is. This is what he does. And she's she feels like she wants to make excuses for his behavior based on how she understands him as a person. And so as a piece of fiction, we're being given the full portrait. We get to get into his head. We get to see him in action. We get to understand him as that full, complicated, unclear, not unclear as in you don't understand, but there's no clear moral verdict on him. Right. He's complicated. And this is the whole breadth of him that we get to see. And that's what you can do with good fiction is really portray a character as a complicated human being. When Margot first starts talking in the book, she's talking about how one of her first encounters with him, he literally reaches between her legs to like touch her. And she doesn't like smack his hand, but she's like, no, she's like, you will not do that again. She puts her hand in his face. Yeah. She basically cuts it off immediately. Like no hesitation. She's not uncomfortable about it. And he like, like kind of recoils in a way that's like respectful versus surprised or scared or anything. He's just like, oh, like she's not into it. So Margot like recovers from this and they go on to have like a really tender friendship. Like she considers him her confidant for life and they get to know each other really well and he's there for her in a lot of ways. And aside from that early interaction, you wouldn't have this weird feeling about him. He's just like a weird guy, but he's like a terrific person to her. And some of what's baffling about all this is like had he experienced any kind of consequence along the way it might have like overall deterred him like he had a consequence with Margot, and then he stopped doing it this is a guy that didn't face consequences otherwise he's over here saying like i didn't know that i did anything wrong and at least in this case he is fully drawn enough that i believe that because he's like Margot told me i did something wrong and i stopped I don't know, given all that context, you're really not falling one way or the other. You're just like absorbing this story at its face. And that's kind of unique. I didn't come away from this like definitively thinking like, oh, poor Quinn or fuck this guy. I was just like, wow, he's real. Yeah. Part of it is also the structure of it. Yeah. Um, it starts with that little story. It's kind of quirky. And then Margot and her husband make fun of him over that, that little line he has. This is pleasure and this is pain. Yeah. And then from there, it's kind of just like this unspooling of his personality. And we we get a, a sense that something like there's a reason the story is being told. But right. it's not till later that we, we f- understand him better that they start talking about this current situation and how i mean he, he starts off by saying i had to go to the office for one last time yeah but he's not being specific about why he's leaving his job until later on and by the time we get to all that we know him so well right and it helps that we're in his head and we're it helps that we're in the head of a person who wants to defend him and is kind of explaining who he is in order right. to defend him so that when we get to those parts i think we understand him as a more well-rounded person than merely the accusations. I guess what it feels like toward the end, like you said, he's not explicit at the beginning of this talking about why he's having to quit. He's not like explicit about what's happening to him. He just kind of tries to explain himself as a person first. And then like later on, it gets more in the present moment where he's talking about like the fallout with his wife and the conversations afterwards and then how he's just been feeling like shit lately. Everything feels dark, and but then he's hopeful, but then he's sad again. All these ups and downs that he's having emotionally He's not even like really talking about his career. Uh, He's just kind of talking about like if he's ever going to get out of this cloud. But by the end, it seems like the revelation, at least for him, is kind of that he'll get through this 
because like the world is so wonderful and this is a terrible thing that maybe he did or maybe that's happening to him but there's still so much beautiful stuff in the world women included for him to like experience going forward that was like kind of an interesting ending too because we don't get the you know three years later follow-up where it's like yeah he never worked again or he faced charges for something physical that happened that you know came out later or whatever we don't get that it's just like about how he personally is going to feel better about this he's the focus of this and we're also not going back and forth with one of his victims it's Margot, the woman in his corner so imagine how different the book would be if it was back and forth with whoever had signed the petition then this would be like a far more political story i think because you'd be trying to decide who was right and here we're definitely getting two people telling us that quinn is not as bad a guy as everyone is making him out to be yeah i think it's good that it's from the point of view of his friend who uh, would support him because part of the point of fiction is that you get to you experience something and this is definitely after having read this i've experienced what it's like to have him as a friend to know him very well and if something like this were happening to a friend that i actually had in real life all the complicated feelings would come about because of that you know like yeah i know that friend is this kind of person oh it's confusing that these accusations could be coming to this friend that i know as that person how do i reconcile those things and we're getting that complication through this portrayal and i think part of the reason we're getting it is because of who uh she has chosen to give us the portrayal whose voices we're getting to hear right you know these are the people like obviously he himself but then someone who supports him someone who understands kind of his point of view on these things and can offer a cogent uh, apology, not in the sense of like saying, I'm sorry, but apology, like an argument to so- of support. Sure. Those were carefully chosen to create the effect that this had. Right. Different choices would have made a different effect. Yeah. It's also interesting too, that these two characters. So, you know, we're getting the sense, like you said, that it's intentional that we're hearing from Quinn and his supporter, and it's intentional that they're going to present the information a certain way. But what's interesting overall about the structure of the story is that, like you said, especially when Quinn's talking, it's not just his personality to like, not tell us exactly what happened when he says that he's going to the office for the last time, you know, we're, we're trying to figure out what he's talking about, but the whole story is that way. There's not this paragraph that says he has been accused publicly and is facing the consequences because he did weird shit. Instead, it just launches immediately into this is what Quinn's like. You know, Quinn, it's like Margot sitting down and telling a friend that she's catching up with who like vaguely knows of Quinn and knows all about the news. She's not going to sit there and be like, so Quinn's been accused of all this stuff. The friend already knows that. And it says, she's like, listen, the first time I met him, this is what happened. I think that is really expertly done. There's something really uh, like deft about not telling us what this is about off the bat. And none of us have that inkling to say, I'm not going to tell him exactly what it's about. Right. Like we hate that. Most readers hate that. (laughs) But when I was reading this, I was kind of like, this is a author I could tell pretty quickly, you know, that whether or not I knew what was going on, the writing was great. The characterization was quick off the bat. And then, you know, we're smart enough. And this is a current enough event that you can assume that if he hasn't been accused, then this is the topic that we're writing about. That was really interesting, too, the more you think about it. 
especially for something this long to not know for as long as I feel like we didn't know. I don't even think there's like mention of this being a public thing versus like a quiet inner circle thing until like two thirds of the way. And then it like finally comes out with it and you're like, oh, okay. So this is, you know, what we're circling. But until then it was just like, you have all the time in the world, right? Let me tell you about Quinn then. You know, another feature of this that I really like, like it goes back and forth between Margot and Quinn. But they're not, it's not like Margot speaks, Quinn speaks, Margot speaks, Quinn speaks, you know, around the same topic. They're each having a separate thing and they, they kind of overlap each other. They touch on each other, but they're talking about different things. It's not like Margot talks about X and then Quinn talks about X and then Margot moves on to Y and Quinn moves on to Y. It's like these two parallel stories just moving along on their own trajectories and they kind of bump into each other here and there, but they're not reacting to one another. Yeah. And getting that to be compelling and getting that to be uh, as it is, is very, it's difficult. I, I don't know exactly what the trick is that this author used, but it was very well done. Yeah. If I had to guess, or if I had to tell someone to write a story like this, maybe you'd come up with a really strong character first and then come up with 10 instances of his doing something around this topic, right? And then write about these things, like maybe five of them from his perspective and five from the other person's perspective. And it's important to remember, like we said a couple of times, like it's these perspectives are not countering each other. They're like complimenting each other. It's like Quinn is the nut job and Margot is his supporter who's like, oh, I'm sane and I'm telling you he's not as crazy as you think he is. So maybe that's like a way that you can approach a story like this so that you're not wrapped up in thinking to yourself like, I need to explain this. I need to really hold the reader's hand. I need to beat a dead horse so that they get what I'm getting at. I don't know. Have you ever done a, an assignment like in a writing class where they told you to write a character sketch? It would have been a million years ago. I feel like I must have done one in high school. Yeah. It's like one of these things that you start off with and then you never revisit it because the point was never the sketch itself, but like what you did with having looked at the character really closely. There were also never any rules for how these were supposed to be written. So it was really frustrating because you'd get people that would literally be like, Quinn is 5'7 and he's got (laughs) curly hair. And you're just kind of like, we get it. And And it was just like telling and telling and telling. And I remember like I wrote a couple in college about like a subway employee I used to work with because she was like a she was a character. They were like, write, write a character sketch about someone. And I was like, well, this one. And I remember writing it with instances of weird shit that she had said versus just the flat physical description or like telling you what she was like. And I loved that piece of writing. I was so proud of it because if you knew this woman, you knew that I nailed it. And this story almost reads that way because it's hinting at a story but it's not coming out with it. That's almost not the point. It's almost like this extended character sketch. And that's why I'm struggling to like define the structure because character sketches have never been defined. But that's what this feels like. It feels like the algorithm and all the proofs for this are instances of Quinn doing weird things that tell you who he is. Like the story is just why we're telling you in the first place. But you're kind of along for the ride because the character sketch is so well done. Yeah, I don't know that we could, if we had to define this as a story, what the story is fully. You know, you could obviously say like he was a weirdo and got called out for it and then lost his job. It doesn't feel like story you know what i mean it just feels like what happened 
Yeah, it's weird too. We haven't really talked about this, but this is considered a novella. It's long as shit. So we're not talking about something that can get away with not being a story because it's brief, right? That's right. It's not flash fiction. It's not a short story. It's longer than that. And still we were along for the ride because of how well it was done. But yeah, I imagine some people in our workshop being like, yeah, this isn't a story (laughs) if they really thought about it. But that's if you set aside the fact that you enjoyed it so thoroughly. Thinking about character sketches, I remember when I was in middle school, Yeah, we we were given the assignment to brainstorm and I would just draw pictures of brains with rain clouds and like rain coming off of them. Brainstorming is just such a strange thing to ask someone to do. But I can imagine that if I were asked to do a character sketch, I would have done something similar where I just drew a picture of a character. You know, here's a silhouette of a person and uh, that's my character sketch. Yeah. Well, and what's interesting about that is in keeping with something as simplistic as a character sketch, one of the first things that comes to mind was is what they physically look like. And this accomplished that. This almost started with it. They're like, by the way, he's got a British accent. By the way, his hair is nuts. <laughs> you know, and that is part of his entire sketch. So yeah, that's part of why he's like so full. And when people tell you to sketch someone, yeah, it implies drawing. So you're thinking what they look like physically. But even if the assignment were to say something like other than a character sketch, but describe a character, describe your character you would automatically you would include what they look like but a lot of times when we start writing our own stuff we don't even like have a thought of what the people look like at least i don't when i'm writing stuff i'm not thinking about what they look like i'm reading all these short stories over the past couple years and for another project that i'm working on i go through these stories looking for like a physical description not necessarily of the character but of space or of uh, the scene as a beginning and most almost no story begins with the physical description the description descriptions that you get in the first paragraph from most stories is of personality of emotion or of social dynamics right because those are the kind of the foundation of story it's like who are the people and what are their problems Uh it almost doesn't matter what they look like it's it matters more how they relate with to other people in order to make a story happen right so if you want to start a story off Starting it off with what they look like, yeah, what somebody looks like, or the room they're sitting in is just you're just trying to get into the writing mode and you got to delete all that when you're done. Once you get to like what they want and who they are, then you're, then you're on your way to your story. Yeah. So the suggestion is not start a story off by saying (laughs) Quinn so-and-so was British and his hair was crazy. Like, (laughs) that's right. You know, there could be a story that the physical description is the setup to the social dilemma. Right. You know, like I was confronted by a person that looked like this and like looking like that is what created the problem in the first place. Yeah, (laughs) exactly. That is my takeaway because I so strongly had this picture in my head almost immediately and I was definitely caught up with it. I like in every scene, I was picturing what he looked like too. And like I said, give me a couple months when I've completely forgotten this story. But when you remind me of it, I'll remember the actor that I'm thinking of who I said like was just from a random TV show that I happen to be watching at the same time but like they're tied now they're linked and we always talk about this is the other like detriment of this this is the other danger or pitfall is that we almost always want to describe people when they look good right we almost always want to describe them when they're attractive because it's more important that you're like really really hot to your personality than anything else apparently right 
So like male writers, especially will get into trouble for like how much time they spend on describing a woman's like perfect face and body. That's not what we're suggesting. Like describe people as they are, like as real people and not just like, oh, they had auburn hair and green eyes. Like I'm sure they did. There's like five people in the world like that. Like we don't care about hair and eye color so much as like, you know, they were light on their feet or they were a little clumsy or when they like burst into a room, they always look like they were 20 minutes late or they're always like put together, whatever it is, like how they physically interact with the world is really important. I should probably uh, do some of that shit in my own work. (laughs) Take my own advice. Do you have a takeaway? I assumed that my takeaway was going to be something about having different voices, different character voices, like multiple first person characters that kind of go back and forth. There's a little bit of, as a writer, you're kind of an actor. You have to put yourself in the head of the character, like actors who learn accents really well and learn speech patterns really well to, in order to embody a character, you kind of have to do that as a writer as well. It's like, okay, when I write from this character's point of view, let me get into that mindset set and this is how I'm going to talk this is how I'm going to put words down on the paper and it might be just as simple as that as just trying to embody that character while you're sitting at your desk so that the words that come out are in their voice right and we talked about this earlier but one of the interesting things about the choice of the two particular speakers is that they are kind of on the same page it doesn't have to be these opposing descriptions of things it could just be like two voices or two points of view but not wildly different they're not arguing across the page and there's not like a winner or a loser so that's interesting too i think if her purpose in writing is was to kind of circumscribe an uncertainty choosing characters who have that uncertainty or can express that uncertainty in the way they describe the the story will help her do that if you choose a character that's that feels full certainty about who quinn is and that he's gotten what he deserves and is just has complete confidence in that feeling they're going to they're not going to portray him in in the way that you want to if you want to portray the uncertainty so that helps in how you select those characters is to know what you what kind of feeling or what kind of um point of view you want to take on something then you find the right character to have that point of view Right. But so many of our takeaways, it's like, you got to do your homework. You can't just like sit down and say, I'm going to write a story. I mean, just write a story. It's like, all right, now I got to think about this and like think about all the different possible characters there might be. And let me like get into character and let me do my uh, Stanislavski method, you know, embodiment thing, dig into my childhood, find like the uh, appropriate feelings in order to express them (laughs) on the page. Well, I mean, I'm cool with it because even if you don't sit down and do your homework before you write, at least the takeaway for me are just kind of like when I sit down and write I haven't done a whole lot of homework and I just write from this like gut reaction place of yeah I have an inkling for a story and then I just start typing I'm not like good about thinking about my approach in advance so that's all I am when I think about takeaways it's like I don't know that I'll do a character sketch next time I write something but I'll at least think to myself I could back into the story instead or pause before I start writing those first couple words or remember halfway through like oh yeah I said that I would physically describe like I'm not really doing like all this like heavy lifting like for me the heavy lifting is the conversation and then I I hope that it seeps in and affects my writing so I think it's not and it's not necessarily you know when you sit down to to, you have an idea and you start writing to figure out what that idea is everyone works differently but if that's the way you work then it'll come in revision yeah once you've written like three pages you're like okay maybe I have something here let me go back to the first page and like start layering in the things I'm gonna need later and then then those things kind of come into play it's like, yeah, okay, exactly. I forgot to do this. I forgot to think about this. So let me put that in yes. there and 
Yeah. It's not about um, making sure that you can like execute this flawlessly by overthinking it. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) All right. Well, thanks guys. If you enjoyed this episode, consider subscribing to our monthly newsletter at our website, NaplesWritersWorkshop.com. And for daily writing tips, industry news, and great short fiction, join our Facebook group at facebook.com slash groups slash Naples Writers Workshop.